Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, welcome into the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Inner Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. And welcome, everybody, to our off-season specialty show series. That's got three S's. So that's, that's when you know it's a good title. My, my fantasy league that I have run since 1992 is called SSS. It, it stands for Sunday Sofa Sloths. And so nice <laughs> symmetry there with the SSS. Well, that is a that is a perfect segue into the, our first of our offseason specialty shows that we are going to be uh, uncorking your way. And that is with a sole focus on fantasy and gambling. Oh, yeah, we're we're out. This is our people, Jay. Wheelhouse. This is this is one for us, right? This is for our people. Uh, so we we're bringing in uh, Michael Beller, who, if you don't know Michael, uh, he was a producer for this show actually uh, at one point, and uh, now he hosts uh, some fantasy shows for us, including a fantasy football show here at The Athletic that you should be listening to, especially once you get closer to draft season. It's fantastic. And we're also going to talk with uh, our gambling one of our gambling editors, Andrew DeWitt. If you haven't been like on the, on the site and seen The Athletic, uh, gambling vertical that we have going. It's fantastic. So much good content over there for if you're into that world. Um, and so we're going to kind of talk a little bit about Bengals gambling um, with Andrew. So we've got these we got these two things going your way uh, all through the Bengals lens. Uh, a lot of fun. This is going to be the first of a bunch of specialty shows that we have coming. I'm not going to spoil it completely, but um, – I would say a familiar name and one you'd probably know if you live in Cincinnati coming your way next week. Uh, and then somebody who you used to know and I'm really excited to hear from again will be coming after that. How's that for vague teases that honestly, Jay, were not that interesting? I I think those were great teases. I, I, I know who they are. If I didn't, I would be really, really interested to see okay. who, the, who those names are going to be. Also, Rewatchables is back. We're going to yes. bring back a special episode of Rewatchables. Uh, me, Jay, and Mo are going to be breaking down uh, a, a game. We, we've got it. We've got it down. We've got it narrowed down to four. Okay, we got it narrowed down to four games from Bengals history, fairly recent. Uh, you will be seeing a poll show up here before too long, uh, and you can vote on which game me and Jay and Mo watch. Rewatch, I should say, uh, and discuss, and that'll be coming in July. Uh, we will, we will dive into that for you. We had fun doing that last year with the uh, 
going all the way back to 1991 and uh, 30 years. God, 30 years since the last Bengals playoff victory. Uh, and that season in the, the creepy white van. Yeah, it's now the creepy van game. Yeah, the creep has become the creepy white fan game when the Bengals beat the Oilers. Boomer almost got uh, knocked over by a van that was somehow parked five feet from the corner of the end zone, uh, which I believe we found out contained Seg Dennison, uh, which is very fun that we to th- thing to to find out at a later date after we went through that. But all that is going to be coming your way for a, se- a series of specialty shows that we'll have here during this dead period. Everybody's on vacation. Uh, including Jay and I taking some vacation time in here. So um, hope everybody will enjoy some of these that we've got coming your way. Okay, okay, before I move on, though, I want to make sure that we get this in because this is important. Last week on the podcast, uh, we talked about if you happen to buy a gift subscription to The Athletic for your dad for Father's Day, let us know. Forward me the receipt because we need receipts. And, uh, and we would give them a shout-out on the podcast. So here we are. Shout out to these three people who were smart, and we're going to make sure this is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. This is better than the Jelly of the Month Club, okay? And so I want to give the three people that sent them forward, I want to shout out to these dads, David Murphy, Chris Cheater, and John Moore uh, for their new subscriptions to The Athletic and for having such smart children. Really just highly intelligent children that understand a great deal when they see it. Uh, and and all those that got that for subscribing originally or listening to the podcast, we hope you enjoyed it. And happy Father's Day to all, especially to David Murphy, Chris Jeter, and John Moore uh, and, and their new strong gifts that hopefully maybe they're even enjoying today. I hope they are. But without further ado, Jay, it's time to throw money at things. And that means uh, fantasy and gambling. So we're gonna we're gonna kick off today's show uh, as we sit down with our host of our football fantasy football show, uh, Michael Beller. All right, we're gonna welcome in an old friend to the program here now, and that is uh, bringing. Our, you know, you, you may not remember Mike Beller if you're listening to Jay and I, and you just listen to HTPG, but we do. Because he was the one that made the magic happen. It was our producer for a while, but of course does more than much, much more than that, particularly involved in the fantasy side of things with us nationally. Uh, so we're bringing in him because it's all fantasy talk. We're going to do our fantasy conversation today when it comes to the Bengals. Mike, how are we doing? Doing good, Paul. Doing good, Jay. Great to be back with you guys. This is uh, you know getting the band back together. I feel pretty, I feel pretty good here. It is. And it kind of just makes me like really sad that we never did this when you were even our producer. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we never had an opportunity to, right? It was such a, we, we, the company was in such flux and we were moving around and we never had the opportunity. So this feels yeah. like uh, we're taking care of some unfinished business. That is. It is. Closure for all of us, really. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we, we, there's a lot, you know, when we talk about we're having fun doing, you know, fantasy and, and gambling on kind of a specialty show here because we don't always get into that. We're so team focused. I'm always really curious because we're we're so close to it. And I feel like we you 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 lose a little bit of a feel for reference across the league. How, in your opinion, is this Bengals offense viewed nationally in in terms of fantasy potential? Or is it 
or is it more is it more viewed as a buyer beware situation because there's just a lot of uncertainty in a lot of different pieces? No, this Bengals offense is viewed pretty favorably in the fantasy world for sure. It all hinges on Joe Burrow's health. Um, we're at this point assuming that Joe Burrow is going to be good to go, obviously for Week One, and uh, you know all the reports uh, from you guys are suggesting that's going to be the case. And if Burrow is healthy, there's a lot to be excited about with this team. You've got Joe Mixon potentially having the backfield largely to himself or the most to himself as he's ever had it during his time with the Bengals. You've got a three-headed monster at wide receiver in Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and the rookie Jamar Chase, who obviously has a great relationship with Joe Burrow going back to their days at LSU. And all three of those guys are going to be very fantasy relevant. I think all three of those guys step into week one as whoever drafted them will be starting them in their week one fantasy lineup. It's a little bit of a muddled situation in figuring out uh, how all those targets are going to shake out among those three receivers. We don't think we have a tight end messing anything up too much in securing a large target share. So when you just look at Burrow, the three receivers, and Mixon, you can get very excited about all five of those guys and then flip it over to the fact that maybe we're not expecting this defense to be very good and you're going to have this team playing a little bit of catch up. We love that in the fantasy world. So you're going to see people really <clears throat> wanting to get invested in those five guys in this Bengals offense. You know, before we started this, I went and looked at Jake Seeley on our site, did the rankings, the, the post-draft rankings um, for all positions. And I was really surprised. Uh, you, you mentioned Joe Burrow's injury and how it all kind of starts there. He had Joe Burrow as the 15th quarterback, and that was on May 2nd. That was before we saw what he looks like. I mean, how much do you think that's changed? You mentioned, you know, kind of following what Paul and I have been writing about Joe. How much do you think that's changed? How much... By the time we get to week one, do you think he's going to be higher in the rankings? Because I don't think anybody would say he's a top 10 quarterback overall yet. But fantasy-wise, what this offense can be, what this offense may have to be with that defense, it just feels like he's got a much higher potential than to, to be the number 15 fantasy quarterback. Yeah, 15 certainly feels like a floor for Joe Burrow. The thing that could complicate things for him in terms of rising much higher than that is that if you look at the top of the fantasy uh, quarterback position and even going down through the top 10, when you're looking at, you know, obviously no one's expecting Joe Burrow to be Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or, or Kyler Murray or, or Lamar Jackson from a fantasy perspective, but there's something those guys share. And as you get into a few other guys, Russell Wilson, uh, Jalen Hurts, all those guys run a ton, and we're seeing the uh, the dual-threat quarterbacks really take over the fantasy world. And you almost have to be someone who does a lot of damage with your legs or have a season like Aaron Rodgers had last year to be a top-10 quarterback. Joe Burrow already saying he's not sure how mobile he's going to be. And, you know, again, this is the middle of June, and I think he said that, what, at the very beginning of June. So, you know, we don't want to put too much stock into that, but... If his knee is complicated from a running the ball and making things happen with his leg standpoint, he already wasn't a guy who was going to do a ton of that, then that's going to cap his fantasy ceiling. You also have someone like Ryan Tannehill who runs a pretty good amount and just got Julio Jones added to A.J. Brown, so he moves up a little bit in the rankings. I do think that Burrow is going to settle somewhere in the QB 11 to QB 14 range when we're talking about fantasy draft uh, stock and has the ability to push up higher than that once this team actually does take the field when we see the fully formed Zach Taylor offense with these three wide receivers. But it's hard to push him much beyond that because we can't be sure if he, if and how much he will be running early in the season. And it's hard to bet on anyone, even including Aaron Rodgers, having an Aaron Rodgers 2020 season. 
That's a really interesting thing is the the rise of the dual threat. I think a lot of people, and I remember during the early portion of Burrow, and it was really a storyline when his first career touchdown was that run against the Chargers, but like people say it was kind of the secret weapon of Burrow that people didn't realize how athletic he was and how willing he was to use his legs. He ended up with three touchdowns. Uh, he ran 37 times. Now a lot of that was you know for his life, but he still was was doing that. You're, that's the interesting element, and we've talked a lot about this with the Bengals and Burrow, is the mental side of how his game will change coming off this injury. Like He had no problem like tucking it and running, liking to get out there. He, he feels that's a totally underrated part of his game. He's talked about that a lot. But like, how much are they going to tell him, let's kind of just scale that back out of the playbook as much as possible? Because it, it is hard to see him out there Certainly in the early portion of the season, running it, uh, I worry. I even worry about his pocket presence. You know, much less out there. You know, running off the edge. So, I mean, it's if can you? What is the highest you can be and not be a dual threat quarterback? I mean, what is what is that? Yeah, so I mean, again, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, uh, they have both have ADPs that are just inside the top 10. Aaron Rodgers still going to run a little bit, but nowhere near as he did, uh, as much as he did earlier in his career. Tom Brady, obviously we know, never ran the ball. Uh, and those are guys who are just sneaking into the top 10. And let, let's remember the years those guys are coming off and the name brands those guys have. And in Rodgers, no matter if he's in Green Bay or Denver, and I think it's going to be one of those two, he's going to have plenty of weapons. We know Tom Brady's got big-time weapons in Tampa, and those are still guys who are just barely sneaking into the top 10 behind Russell Wilson, behind Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott and Kyler Murray. Like You just have to be able to run to reach the very top of this position. So you're really looking at just inside the top 10 as a ceiling, I think. The good thing for Joe Burrow is that, let's just say, let's say running's just not part of his game. We know that's not the case, but just to make this simple, let's say it's a zero from the run standpoint. You look at that next group of quarterbacks who are basically zeros uh, running the football. Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Joe Burrow's comfortably ahead of those guys. And that's why I think he's pretty easily going to settle into a group that is behind those you know elite guys and behind Brady and Rodgers and even Jalen Hurts because of how much we expect Jalen Hurts to run the ball, getting 16 starts uh, in Philadelphia, and settle in with Matt Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, Trevor Lawrence. I think that's the group you're looking at. If you're going to be drafting Joe Burrow, he's going to be among those four guys or those three others, including him, Stafford, Tannehill, and Lawrence. Now, he's obviously got a lot of weapons to throw to. You mentioned you touched on that early. One of the things that kind of stood out to me on the rankings, um, overall, Jamar Chase, the number 40 wide receiver this year, um, T. Higgins, number 30. When you look at the dynasty rankings, mm -hmm. Jamar Chase goes all the way up to 10, and Higgins only goes up to 25 is, I mean, is that just the potential of a number five overall pick? Or, I mean, is, is that an indication that maybe T Higgins is what he is and he's, he's not gonna, he doesn't have that big of a ceiling. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is, Jay. I think there's also some expectation built in here that uh, these are going to be the top two receivers for this team in the not-too-distant future uh, with Tyler Boyd potentially moving on. So you're going to be looking at Jamar Chase maybe going from entering this year as, 
I think we have to pencil him in for third and targets just from our standpoint in the fantasy world. We can't assume that he's going to out-target Boyd or Higgins, let alone both of them. But we could easily see a jump from third and targets this year to first and targets on this team next year. And, of course, we might be wrong. We might be wrong about him being third and targets on the team this season. And that's going to be one of the more interesting things to, to figure out with the Cincinnati team is just how those targets shake out among those three receivers. But... Yes, I think that's really what it reflects. It reflects the potential of Jamar Chase going forward and the fact that T. Higgins, while he was a great receiver last year, there's probably, you know, we're, we, we might be already seeing the fully formed T. Higgins with what we saw last year. Maybe there's a little step to take forward, but we potentially already have him. And he's a great receiver. He's a great player, but there might not be much more for him to get out of what he is and what the Cincinnati offense can be for him. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing is the the Chase edition changes things, but not as much as people would think because people forget A.J. Green got 100 targets last year. Yeah. They were ineffective. Uh, <laughs> but And that's why they've made that change out, and the offense as a whole feels more dy- dynamic. You know, but what T. Higgins did last year, and pe- you know, when, when I ran the numbers, when you look at just – when T. Higgins and Joe Burrow started the game together, because Higgins, it took him a little bit into the season to get going, he was on pace for double-digit touchdowns and 1,200 yards. I think that's who T. Higgins has the ability to be, and and maybe we should really kind of project and through some rosy glasses. And it's, a, and it's an obviously an incredible season. I don't think that's out of the question, even with the addition of Jamar Chase, because you're just seeing those green targets still go that way, and that was also the case last year when Higgins was putting up those big numbers. I think people are underselling Higgins a little bit. I really do. I think he has the chance to be the one here, even for the foreseeable future. You know, because we still don't know exactly what Jamar Chase is going to be. Yeah, I, you know, there's there's definitely something to that. And if you take a look at uh, one of the best, uh, I think the best uh, ADP tool for early in the in the summer, and we're still there. Obviously, most people haven't been uh, digging into this as deeply as I have, and people aren't really having drafts. But you do have drafts running, and I think the best tool is uh, NFFC's ADP because they're running uh, drafts for you know people who are really really into the fantasy world. And you see T Higgins right now uh, over the last three weeks as wide receiver twenty seven. He's sandwiched in between Brandon Ayuk and San Francisco and Chase Claypool in Pittsburgh, someone who I think people are a little too low on going into this season. I think that's probably a fair spot for T. Higgins just because of all the things that are going on in Cincinnati. And again, we're going to have a very high volume running back in Joe Mixon, someone who I think is really interesting to look at, someone who I've been down on year after year because of the presence of Giovanni Bernard, but you take him out of the picture and can Mixon get a little bit more involved in the passing game? Probably not to the extent that Bernard was, so I don't think that hurts the, uh, the receivers too much. But he's still going to be a high-volume running back who has a large presence in this offense. And so I do think that it's hard to project any Bengals receiver to be much more than a top 25 fantasy receiver, even understanding that all three of them, Boyd included, have the ceiling to punch higher than that. It's just hard to do that in a projection standpoint when we can't assume that one of them is going to get 140 targets. Yeah, with Mixon, that was going to be my next question. You talked about the quarterbacks, the the ones that are the dual threats that are one kind of rising up. It it seems like it's been that way for a while with running backs, where the the especially obviously if it's a PPR league, um, where where do you guys see Joe Mixon as? You know, do you look at 
what he has been in the past in terms of receiver with Giovanni Bernard there, or do you do you, you kind of do you project more targets, more receptions than what he's had in the past with with Giovanni, not just with Gio gone, but w- with what the Bengals have said about getting him on the field more, having him on the field on third down more, all of those types of things. I mean, you tell me, Jay. We were the we were hoping this was going to be the case last season for Joe Mixon, and obviously that didn't happen. I think we have to assume that that's the case this year. But I like just with what we've seen from Mixon to this point of his career, and the fact that they brought in a guy like Chase. Like, I, does any Bengals running back get the target share that Giovanni Bernard got during his time there? I personally find it hard to believe. Obviously, you guys are all much closer to the team than I am. I do think there, there's a there's a big window, right, for Mixon to increase his personal target share and for Bengals running back target share to come down. And I think that's ultimately where this ends up landing. And so you're seeing that reflected already in early ADP. Joe Mixon is the RB14 right now. The running back who goes ahead of him is Antonio Gibson. The running back who goes behind him is Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Again, this is just in standard drafts and typical drafts. Obviously, draft boards are going to be different from draft to draft. I think the more interesting thing than necessarily who he goes with is the fact that you see a pretty big step down. You have um, guys like Austin Eckler, Cam Akers, Nick Chubb, and the rookie in Pittsburgh, Najee Harris, all going between about pick 10 and 12 overall. And then you see a drop down to the back end of the second round where you find Antonio Gibson and Joe Mixon and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and DeAndre Swift and guys like that. So you're seeing him fall behind that first group of wide receivers. And again, that feels appropriate to me just because we can't bank on him being a big time receiver. And it is an important dual threat position. Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler. Those are guys who we know are going to have big roles in their passing games. You have to be basically Derrick Henry to be a run-only guy and push up into the top 10 at this position. One thing worth noting is Joe Mixon had 26 targets in five and basically five and a half games last year. That I mean, that plays out to 78 over the course of the year if he had stayed healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was with Giovanni Bernard. Those They didn't use Gio much in those first six games, but yeah, he, he, he was well on his way last year. So it, it is going to be interesting to see. I think his career high is in the mid-50s somewhere, so I think that's certainly within reach this year. Uh, I mean, really, I think Mixon is a fascinating case. Uh, one thing I found interesting, and, and Michael, you can tell me a little bit more about this, the, the usage last year across the league, you know, you saw uh, as far as offensive snap rates, uh, Dave Montgomery led the league at 71%. He was – and everybody else is below 70 Just the year before. If you just go back to 2019, you saw the offensive snap rate with guys just all over. I mean, McCaffrey up at 93. You had Ezekiel Elliott at 83, Fournette at 83, Le'Veon Bell 77, Gurley. It's all those guys. The idea, I mean, we. it seems like it was this last year was the next step of losing the high volume running back. Like we've seen it happening. And then all of a sudden this, it happened even more so this past year, but yet here's Mixon who the Bengals are standing here saying high volume running back. We, (laughs) we want, that's who he's going to be for us. I wonder like how much people are underrating that element of, of what Mixon will be when the, uh, the trend across the league is going the other way. 
I think some of that was anomalous last season. Yeah. Christian McCaffrey missed a lot of time because of injury. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, very split backfield in Indianapolis. I think that'll ease off a little bit. Ezekiel Elliott missed time. Saquon Barkley played two games. Uh, Austin Eckler missed, what, like six games. So you're talking about guys who are easily drafted in the top 10 at the position, all who missed significant time. Delvin Cook missed a couple of games for Minnesota last season. Alvin Kamara missed a couple of games for the Saints. So you do have that at play. And so I think you're going to see some of those uh, usage rates surge back for those guys. Like if you take Christian McCaffrey plus Mike Davis, you have the Carolina RB1 had a very high snap rate last season. So I do think individually those are going to bounce back this season, obviously health permitting. But we know that this is a volume game at the running back position. You know, David Montgomery, you mentioned him, not a spectacular guy, had a ton of usage in Chicago because of the injury to, to Tariq Cohen, and they didn't really have anyone set to take over that role. So David Montgomery became, you know, essentially a bell cow for the Bears. Not an explosive guy, and he ended up as like the, a top five running back in, in the fantasy world because he got everything out of the Bears' backfield. And so if that ends up being the case for Joe Mixon, and he does feel like the one guy who is in that range of players who I talked about who can ultimately secure 80% of his backfield's workload, then he becomes a whole lot more interesting. And I do think that he is someone to bet on rising up the ranks as we get a little bit closer and people start getting more and more into draft season and we get you know a look at training camps and we get a look at exhibition games this season. People start to realize what sort of role Joe Mixon is going to play and we're not just going to have the rug pulled out from under us again when it comes to him being involved in the passing game. I wouldn't be surprised to see him push past Antonio Gibson, maybe even Aaron Jones in Green Bay, and I think certainly Aaron Jones in Green Bay if Aaron Rodgers ends up getting shipped out. And we are talking about Joe Mixon as a back-end RB1 when we all are really sitting down to draft in August. All right, Jay, you've got some stats for us, of course. So what do you what do you what do you got on Bengals fantasy finishes? And we can we can drop in a run passer boot after that. All right, yeah. So I went and looked at where the Bengals the Bengals highest scoring this is I used pro football focuses fantasy points. Uh, going back a decade, and wh- where the highest scoring Bengal ranked in the league. Last year it was T. Higgins. He had more fantasy points than anybody. He was the 66th highest scoring guy in the league. Uh, the two years before that, it was Mixon, 51st in 19 and, and 40th in 2018. Um, the, the highest in this period, A.J. Green had that incredible run. He was ninth in 2013. He was 13th in 2012, just blowing away everybody uh, I'm curious what you would you would think for a run passer boot based on that the the highest Bengal in fantasy points this year will be Joe Burrow T Higgins or other okay so wait let me let me make sure I've got that uh, this was it's been a while guys so run is like my first pick Yep. Passes second, like win, place, or show, run, pass, or boot. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. So if those are my options, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna run with Burrow because I do think that uh, that he's going to, and and we can even say this like relative to his own position. I think he's gonna, as long as that knees hold that knee holds up, I really think he's he's in store for a big season. So I'll run with him. I'm gonna pass with other because I think it's gonna be Mixon. And then I will boot T. Higgins. And that is not a knock on T. Higgins. It is just a reflection of a belief in Burrow and Mixon and the and just the uh, being a little bit wary of exactly how the wide receiver room is going to shake out in the fantasy world. 
Yeah, I would think Burrow. I, I, if I'm if I'm doing relative to position, I think mix. I, I think Mixon will be the highest relative to position. I, I I really think the combination of Frank Pollock returning and trying and getting them back to where he has been best, where he was in eighteen, averaging five yards a carry, and the fact that without Geo, he I, I'm I'm tagging at least an extra fifteen to twenty receptions onto him just because of that alone. You have him up over fifty receptions, fifty sixty receptions. High volume. If he's being as efficient as he was in Pollock, I think he's a top ten running back. And I don't. I don't. We'll see if Burrow gets there as a as a quarterback. So I'm. Run, I would be running with Mixon if we're going relative to position, passing on Burrow, I guess, and then booting Higgins. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to run with Burrow just because. All right. First of all, last year as a rookie, he threw very few interceptions. Those obviously take away from your point total. He threw a ton of passes. Um, I, I don't know it's going to be that high this year, but it's still going to be a high volume. Um, I, I will I will pass on other because I do think Mixon's going to be right there. There's just too many there's too many receptions and targets to go around to be shared this year. I mean, T. Higgins really benefited from even though AJ Green had over 100 targets. It, like Paul said, they were not productive. I think he benefited from not having his, his stats benefited from not having another top target like that on the outside. Tyler Boyd was awesome, but I just, I can't see him doing that. Um, the, so not relative to position. We'll do another run passer boot. Where will just, just overall, where will the top Bengal score in fantasy this year rank overall among all players be in the top 20 21 to 40 or 41 or higher. The last time anybody cracked the top 40 for the Bengals was AJ Green was 37th in 2017. Andy Dalton was 23rd, surprisingly, in 2016. Give me uh, 21 to 40 as the run, 1 to 20 as the pass, and then 41 plus as the boot. Things would have to go really wrong for Joe Mixon to not be a top 40 player. Like really, really wrong. There'd be an injury or he would just be bad or this offense would just be a complete train wreck. Like there is some part of the formula that has to be disgusting for Joe Mixon to not be a top 40 fantasy player this season. Yeah, I'm with you. I'll I'll say 21 to 40. The, the pass is the interesting thing, but I think there's the offense just has too much chance to be explosive. And the other thing is that you got to take it. If you're just saying anybody, I mean, somebody probably gets hurt and that probably benefits another person to become a high, high volume scorer, whether it's if Higgins were to get hurt, what would happen to chase or vice versa? Uh, so, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say, as long as it's not pro, uh, I'll say I'll, I'll do the exact same thing that Mike did. Yeah, this was probably a bad run passer boot because I'm going to do the exact same thing too. It's a it's a three way sweep that doesn't normally happen, um, but all the reasons you guys said, I think 21 to 40 is is where that's going to play out, and and I think there's a, a far better chance that someone's in the top 20 or that the top scores in the top 20 as opposed to 41 or higher. Well, I appreciate the uh, the reuniting, Michael. It's you know it's where hopefully people that are into fantasy uh, and listening to this Bengals episode because of it, listen to your fantasy show uh, for fantasy football uh, that you guys have going. It's it's an awesome, awesome resource to have as you start approaching draft season just to keep up with all the daily stuff and everything through the fantasy lens. You guys do a fantastic job. Congrats on everything uh, that's been going on there. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Jay. It was great talking with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, great have a catching good one. up. 
All right, now we're going to roll into, you know, it's it's time. It's it's the get your money out there edition here uh, of the podcast, and that means we're going gambling. We're, we're, if people don't know, if people have not been paying attention, uh, we have gone all in. I hate myself uh, on on gambling here uh, lately. I mean, but we have the, the betting vertical and everything that's going on uh, on that aspect of the site. If you're into that world, there is so much content over there. Uh, to pick up on anything you're interested in, in gambling on. Uh, and, and we have a partnership with BetMGM that's fantastic, and it's great to go in there and look at all their odds. So we're bringing in uh, uh, our editor over on the gambling site, over on the betting vertical, Andrew DeWitt. What's up, Andrew? Hey, Paul. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. For sure. We, we have a lot of people who want to get their hard-earned dollars in on the Bengals, and we can just set, start by saying it's not always the best move. definitely probably not always the best move but you know i think sometimes betting on the Bengals as the underdog is not a a bad thing to do you know they they tend to have some backdoor covers throughout the season boy burrow was the king of the backdoor cover he was like he was he was making that happen and when he was when he was playing last year there's a there's a lot of here's the thing this is not about bet on the Bengals. like if you want to go bet on the Bengals, go bet on the Bengals whatever way you want to this is about the best angles to bet on the Bengals, if you want to find the way to try to get your money in right, and, and what Vegas is saying, or really Vegas everywhere is saying uh, now, then there's a lot of different ways to do it. I'll I'll bring this to you. Let's just start with some of the general ones that stick out. Reach the playoffs at plus four fifty, uh, not making the playoffs at minus six fifty. I mean. That's probably about where it stands. Where what's the history of that? I mean, is there like big value typically to be found in teams from that are underdogs, you know, betting on them to make the playoffs? Is there a better way to get in on that type of thing? I think actually betting on the teams to make the playoffs is one of the best ways because there are certain ways for teams to be able to sneak into the playoffs. We know with the cross divisional games, if if you're playing the weak NFC division. Sometimes there's teams that get three teams in the playoffs every single year from one division, especially with the added wild card now. I think that that's a good way. And I think it's really, for me, like when I look at divisional odds, um, you know, it's really difficult for me to see. It's like hard to pick a team like the Bengals or a team that's struggling or up and coming potentially to win the division because they have to overcome so many things to win a division. But there are more ways for a team to sneak into the playoffs, especially in that last wild card spot. And like the Bengals, if things go right for them this season, is it crazy to say that they're going to make the playoffs? I mean, I don't think so. Basically, Vegas saying it's four and a half to one to make the playoffs. And, you know, that's decent odds. And you'll get four times your money back on a bet of the Bengals to make the playoffs this year. I think one of the more popular bets, too, is is people betting on win totals. And Bengals sitting at 6.5 right now. Um, has that moved at all from the end of last season to through the draft? Is, is there anything, maybe even people seeing that Burrow looks better than some might have expected in, in OTAs, is there anything that can move a line for a team like that before before they actually start playing the games? Generally what happens is, I mean, injury news obviously is going to be the biggest thing. If someone gets hurt in camp or there's an ACL tear or an Achilles tendon blows, those will generally move the line a little bit more. But when Vegas sets the lines for the win totals, they don't really want to move them too much because that can create some middle opportunities for some sharp betters. And so they don't really want to move them too much. I don't believe the Bengals line has moved off the six and a half total. 
Um, and it, I'm seeing a little bit of juice on the under bet right now, which means tells me that people are betting more the under on six and a half than the over right mm-hmm. now. But it's also possible that line could have, I should have looked that up, but I think the line did open at six and a half. It may have opened at six, but it definitely hasn't jumped more than one win because they just don't move that much. Um, most of these lines opened right after um, the draft came out. And so you're starting to see these books open up the lines a little bit earlier, um, especially as free agency news comes out and all that stuff. But people are just want those NFL news 24 7 365 so that exposes the books a little bit more to some sharper betters who are going to be able to put some money down quickly on these teams all right let's just take a quick break is there a best time to get your money in before i mean you know when you talk about the sharps i mean is there is there a best time to when you're gonna okay i'm gonna make my big move when am i gonna do it on any of the bets that we can talk about it when is the the best time to that you can play an angle is it just getting in there before the injuries start flying honestly so we just brought on jeopardy james holzhauer from jeopardy fame he wrote his first column last week and i've learned a lot from talking to him as he's kind of started writing columns for us at the athletic And his first article really explained how the best time to get any action down on any type of bet, whether it's a weekly game or anything like that, is that you want to bet as soon as possible. Because the line, the more the line is bet through, as people are picking off the lines, you're going to get worse value. The worst time you can bet before is literally the minutes before a game because all of the information is out there and there's you know, people have had time to evaluate the line and you're looking at the betting market betting place is like a marketplace. Like as, as a consumer, I look at the odds board and it gives me information on how people are viewing these teams and that, how that information changes going forward. So you want to bet as soon as possible. If you think that the line is going to move a certain direction. So Basically, go on. listen to us, yeah. listen to this podcast <laughs> where you have the inside information that everyone's going to learn in a month uh, when people start really talking about it. And you're already in there and you're already going to catch an angle. I love it. <laughs> so, you know, going away from the team stuff, one of the one of the player props that I, I thought was most interesting and I was I was thinking it would be a, a really good bet early. Well, you, you have to do it before the year starts, obviously, but comeback player of the year and Joe Burrow uh, because of how good he has looked in OTAs because of how much everyone expects this offense to just kind of take off this year. And he's at plus 800, which is decent value. What really shocked me there was Dak Prescott at plus 180. Do you ever remember a player being more of an even money favorite for something as it's not obscure, but that's a, that's a hard, that's a hard category to have a, a super favorite in with, with Dak being at plus 180. Yeah, and there's several players who are in this. Like Saquon Barkley's at at plus five hundred, so five to one odds. Barkley got lost in the second, what second, third week last year. Yeah, we and he, if he comes out and has an incredible season, and McCaffrey as well, you have and and Nick Bosa as well. So that's five players who are superstars in the NFL who were hurt, lost to injury last year who could have a bounce back season. And would anyone be surprised if Nick Bosa came out and even won Defensive Player of the Year? It's just, I mean, that's just crazy to me that Prescott's plus 180 to win comeback player of the year. But looking at Burrow, I mean, he's 8-1. to one. That's great odds for a player who had a pretty good rookie season going until he got hurt. And he's at the quarterback position. So when I look at awards, I always say, hey, you know the MVP award is going to go to a quarterback almost every time, even if we know as football consumers that there's way 
quarterback's really important, but we know it gets overvalued, especially in these award voting categories. Which just seems like, and two, it's like, and it's weird. I feel like that's often picked based on the graphic nature of the injury, right? Like <laughs> the how public it was, and his was so public and graphic, and the storyline of this of this team, and he's such a big name that it seems like eight to one just seems like a long way off for somebody who has he has the name, he has he's the face of the team, he had the graphic injury that everybody remembers, and he could come back and play 16 games, and, you know, he could be, even if he's just just merely okay, I wonder if that would overshadow Dak Prescott if he has a, a good season too. Like, to me, Burrow has more appeal in that way. So here's the thing that longtime betters know that teams like Notre Dame, the Cowboys, the Yankees, the Lakers, they all get overbet by their fans who are – Fans of those teams, you want to put down five bucks on your favorite player or your favorite team on the weekend. Um, and so we know that those odds get inflated. So in this case, I think maybe BetMGM is just protecting itself a little bit against all these Cowboy fans coming in and betting on Dak Prescott to win player comeback player of the year, where Joe Burrow is probably fair or not. He's probably a little bit more under the radar. Angle. There's an angle, people. Bengals people looking on the way in. There it is. You just found a little inflation on that eight to one. Give it a give it a shot. And tip us. Yep. <laughs> tip us. Another interesting one, and this is you know, uh, the coach of the year thing is really kind of wild. Um, you know, Zach Taylor's down there at sixty six to one, and that's a big. That's big odds. And this is not me sitting here telling anyone to throw their money at Zach Taylor to win coach of the year. But it's a, it's an interesting award, isn't it? Because it like how many people are going to win it? Now Zach Taylor could also win first coach fired. Like that's he, he like he no, there is no wider spectrum for a, a single coach in this league on where which list they could end up on, but those with the most pressure in it from an underdog environment would seem to be the ones that that can hit you that that big value on a, on a coach of the year. So it's interesting to me because I'm looking at the odds right now and Andy Reid is at 16 to 1. Does anyone believe that Andy Reid's going to win AP Coach of the Year next year? I'm just being honest. In, unless they go undefeated, unless the Chiefs go undefeated, or Patrick Mahomes is lost for the season, they still win the division. Does anyone think Andy Reid's going to win Coach of the Year? Because no one's going to vote for him. The Coach of the Year goes to the coach who had the most surprising performance for a team that we didn't think was going to make the playoffs and turn it around, bounce back, and had a little bit of uh, adversity throughout the season. So I just... Looking at these numbers, I just don't see why Andy Reid would be 16 to 1. I understand why Zach Taylor has the worst odds in the NFL at 66 to 1. But how do we quantify these numbers and going through these, like how do we find those coaches that have the ability to kind of win the comeback or the coach of the year? And, you know, John Gruden sitting at 40 to 1. I don't think the Raiders are going to have a great season, but they're a candidate that if they somehow win that division, he could easily win coach of the year because he's that household name who's incredibly um you know people like him maybe they don't like him but it, it's easy to see why you would want that um and urban meyer is sitting at 35 to 1 what would have to happen for the jaguars i mean he'd have to make the playoffs obviously to win that award but you know that's a decent one some value if you actually believe in the the jaguars to kind of bounce back and have a great season 
Yeah, what you're talking about. I mean, it's I'm surprised Stefanski is the favorite at 12 to 1. It's like they they kind of had their breakthrough year last year and now I think everyone's expecting so much more this year. It's odd to see him sitting there. I mean, he's not in the Andy Reid category where like what's it going to like a, it's going to take a perfect season type of thing. But that that just really surprised me. Um so the the flip of that if you look at NFL MVP, so if Kevin Stefanski is the favorite to win coach of the year, people are expecting a pretty good year. Baker Mayfield at 40 to one to win MVP. That, that feels like there's some great value there. I know maybe his career hasn't been what people expected, but if you're, if you're saying that the Browns have this great chance to be really good and, and get Stefanski, the, the coach of the year, why wouldn't Baker have better odds to be MVP? So his odds have actually improved since the original prop bets came out earlier in the off season. So I believe he was around 50 to 55 to one when originally, and a lot of money has started coming in on Mayfield because it's a, he's a primetime quarterback household name on a team that everyone believes can win the division and make some noise going into the playoffs and maybe even contend for the buy in the AFC. So he's a great bet just to make, just based on the numbers alone that he's at 40 to one. Um, and the crazy thing is, is that Burroughs at 50 to one, but does anyone, I mean, very few, I have a lot more faith that the Browns are going to win the division and contend for the top seed than the Bengals are going to make the playoffs this year. So if I'm looking at that, just comparing the two quarterbacks side by side, I'm going to put my money on Mayfield over Burrow just because it's not that much of a difference in the odds and it's still a really good payout for something like that. One little last nugget that I churned up just going through the last the coach of the year history. The last time any coach was back to back for coach of the year, you had to go all the way back to Joe Gibbs in nineteen eighty two and eighty three. I mean, it's not something that anybody repeats. It's not a repeatable uh award. Also, the last two winners both come out of the AFC North with Harbaugh is Stefanski going back to back. So which pretty much just secures your 66 to one bet. Just put it down now. Like that's pretty much, there's just a no brainer. That's, <laughs> that's going to happen. But you're right though. You, you look at it. Stefanski Harbaugh, Matt Nagy in Chicago, McVay in, in LA when he was just breaking through. I mean, you're, you're talking about they're from all from this same, this same circle, you know, they're all mm-hmm. kind of from that same circle. Uh, other Bengals ones. What I like that BetMGM has is um, you can bet on e- exact finish in a division. Um, so Browns, Ravens, Bengals, Steelers going off at eighteen one. Just betting on the Bengals to finish third alone is going off at almost seven to one to finish in front of the Steelers. And we've talked Jay a lot about how the Steelers look like a team on the fall and the Bengals more a team trying to be on the rise. And if you're betting that they cross paths this year, that's pretty good value there that you could hit. If you were looking to find some, some angles, if you think that's going to happen this year, that is the one I circled the sick. It was plus 67 and a half to one to, to, for the Mm -hmm. Bengals to finish third. And that just, that seems like great value. I mean, maybe they, knowing the way the relationship between the Bengals and their fans, maybe they sneak into second place on the last game of the season and it kills your bet. But I, yeah, I, I love the exact order one too. That's, that's the order I have them picked in 180 to one. Um, that, that is great value as well. It was the, the Baker Mayfield MVP Bengals to finish third. And then that exact order one you mentioned were the ones that really stood out to me. I mean, I don't, I can't see disagreement there. If if you think that the Bengals can sneak ahead of the Steelers, that's definitely one where 
maybe the odds makers don't put the exact uh, amount of time into making these exact on the odds because these prop bets aren't going to be bet a lot. It's similar to like the AP MVP award or win totals. These are a little bit more on the fringes. So you can find some value if you do the math and you look at them and say, hey, here's how I can make this work for myself uh, betting into this this prop. There is uh, there's lots of other ones that you can dive into. BetMGM.com. Uh, go in there if you're you know sign up there if you're able to go in and all of these odds that we're talking about um, are are all in there and you can you can find your angles. I mean, look, I, we just made people money. That's all it is. And we <laughs> we I mean, I don't know what else to tell you except you you've got the angles now. You know how to get in. Get in early. Get in now. Listen to this podcast. Go right in and place your bets. And uh, you know, as I say, profit. That's pretty much it. It's easy. <laughs> I'll be honest. I just like looking at the odds just for an informational purposes. We have so many things in sports media where people are talking about this. This is an actual way to compare what people are saying versus what the odds makers are saying and seeing how they view the sport a little bit differently. And then you bring in the analytics side of it and some betting models and all this stuff. And you kind of have like a three pronged approach of like watching and consuming sports. It's just another way to like look at the details of how people are consuming sports and from an analytical perspective, just understanding how people see lines and see the odds change is just fascinating to me. What is uh, what just one thing you kind of, you said betting models. I'm curious, like how do you track that? Like what's, what's the best way to track things like that? And what can you gain out of that prong that you're talking about? So for specifically models, there's like Jeff Sagarin was the original king of kind of the, the power rankings and you can use those power rankings to, create odds at the athletic we've been working um on the nhl front we have dom with his nhl model on nba we're working with a a model called darko and basically what we're doing is we take the implied win probability that these models churn out so basically using really advanced high level math to compare box scores and anticipated how much time for example in the nba we use how much time are the rotations going to be contracted down so the best players play longer minutes in the playoffs so we actually factor that into the model that we work with the darko model and then we compare that to the money line or the point spread and see where the value can be in so i mean it's not a perfect system but a lot of times we just like comparing what the analytical side of the numbers are saying compared to what the the books are saying and what better mgm is putting out there as a line so we do that, but also the lines can change the NBA in like literally a second based on injury news, especially lately. Yeah, really interesting stuff. And uh, again, check all that out on uh, if you're into betting, you're into gambling, you're looking for the angles. Uh, yeah, having having uh, James uh, come on is really cool and a fun thing to, to see uh, everything he's going to be doing over there. And there's a ton more over there on that aspect of the site. Just, just go into your athletic app and uh, you can find all the uh, betting, gambling stuff all in one area and follow along. Andrew, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it, man. And uh, we, we will talk to you down the line. All right. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the season. All right. Much thanks to Michael Beller and Andrew DeWitt uh, for catching up with us to give us things to consider throwing our money at and hopefully not losing. And hopefully after this winning, maybe, maybe it doesn't happen a lot in these parts. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that some people, this can maybe get some people to make some better, some smarter bets. You may not win, but you bet smarter. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that's part of it for you. Uh, Anyway, bet and bet with your mind, not your heart. People bet with your mind, not your heart. It's important. Uh, same with drafting when it comes to fantasy. 
You don't need a team of Joe Mixon, T. Hickens, Jamar Chase. You don't, you don't need that. Look around. Uh, so anyway, thanks to these guys joining us. Again, specialty shows uh, coming your way here over the course of the next month. Next week, a voice that you all know if you listen to this show for any amount of time, and another one that you really should. You probably do know, and you've definitely heard him at some point, but you've never heard him here, and that's why I'm so excited about it. So uh, a couple of guys that I know always make me laugh uh, are going to be on the show next week, and we're going to talk a little bit about Cincinnati uh, through through the Bengals sports lens and uh, kind of a peek into local business, which is a lot of fun. So hope you all come back next week for that one. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Talk to you next time on Hear That Podcast Ground. 